All right. Well, great to have you here. If you were here at the very beginning of the message, you heard Pastor Damon say that we are in a brand new series today called The Other Suppers. So if you have an outline, pull that out. You can turn to Luke chapter 5 as well. Kind of the big idea here is that uh, most of us know about the Last Supper. We've maybe observed it or celebrated it. We we do monthly or bi-monthly or twice a month. Excuse me, let me get this right. Every other month here at First Baptist, I'll get that right. Uh, and maybe you understand the symbolism of the cup and the bread and all that that means and the magnitude of, of that gathering so long ago in that upper room. We know the Last Supper, but what about those other suppers? What about the time where, and you have this on your outline, where in Luke chapter 5, Jesus says to a man named Levi, come follow me, and then Levi opens up his home, and we see that he goes, and he's sitting amongst a bunch of, quote-unquote, sinners that we find out are tax collectors. What about the time there in Luke chapter 7? where Jesus is anointed again by a sinner at a Pharisee's house, and we find out she's a prostitute sharing a meal with her. What about Luke chapter 11, where Jesus speaks to a group of Pharisees? Again, the Pharisees kind of on the outskirts with the normal everyday people because of where they put themselves, and there's Jesus having a meal With them. What about in Luke chapter 19, where he invites himself to go to dinner with a wee little man? Remember who that wee little man was? Zacchaeus was that wee little man. I'm going to your house. What about in Luke chapter 24, where Jesus cooks some fish and some toast for his disciples? He's a little bit of a chef now at this time and has a meal with them as well. What about those other meals? We we know what the last supper is, but what about the first supper? What about all the other suppers? I I mean, think about what they share. And the goal here is that we're going to talk about what that means about Jesus and his mission and his ministry. But what does it say about you with the people that you eat with? I mean, most of you eat with people who you like to be with. You probably don't eat much with your enemies, do you? Right? Not a lot of fun. I mean, that's not even good for the digestion, right? As it goes down. It's why we get so many cards around holiday time, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and such, for people saying, I'm going to go with my family because we feel like we're forced to go to eat, to, to, to share some time together. And oftentimes that comes down to eating at a table where you have to interact with them. Not always fun. I mean, meals say a lot about us. If you're in the stage where, um, with your immediate family, where you have kids or teenagers in the home, I could probably see your family and the closeness of them, and I could probably tell if you share a meal, usually done at the dinner table together, because it's been clinically proven that families that eat together are closer and more bonded with one another. Meals say a lot about us. Uh, do you eat in your living room, watching the television, or do you eat interaction with one another? I mean, you think about tele- television and, and how it relates to our eating um, you know, habits. There are so many food shows now on television. I mean, we just give a big shout out to the food trucks, right? Yeah, food. There's a whole food network that we have been watching for years. Television chefs, their celebrities, cookbooks are at the top of, of the bestseller list, and yet we cook less than we ever have before in our homes. 
And actually, Americans spend over $50 billion. That's B, billion with a B, not M, billion dollars on dieting every year. That's $50 billion to solve the problem of food gone wrong in our lives. And actually, American Christians, this this might step on some toes, stepped on mine as I read this. American Christians spend more money on dieting than on world missions. What does that say about us? That we spend more on the food or curing our overconsumption than we do on feeding the physically and the spiritually hungry in the world. We, we, we share, even express who we want to be through food. And when things go wrong, we, we, we go to food to find a place of refuge. How many have never landed on the sofa eating a binge eating a chocolate ice cream, right? Late at night, maybe to feel better. Food. It's interesting. Some people said it's the new fashion, food. It can be fun. It can be meaningful. It certainly reveals a lot about us. And so, relating this to the day of Jesus, food also told a lot about a person um, and what their desires are, what they liked, what they didn't like. And so, as we see in this series, I think you're going to see a whole other side of Jesus that maybe some of you have never seen or maybe you've never thought about. In fact, um, I'm going to put a phrase up here on the screen, and I want you to finish this phrase with the first words that come to mind. The Son of Man came. Now, you don't have to shout this out right now, but the Son of Man came. What, what comes to your mind right after those words? Now, let me fill in kind of the gaps here. Um, the New Testament writers often refer to Jesus as the Son of Man. Jesus even referred to himself as that, the Son of Man. And so this is a reference to Jesus. So Jesus came, or the Son of Man came, preaching the word. Might be what some of you thought. Maybe it, establishing the kingdom of God. Maybe it's the Son of Man came to die on the cross. All those things are the right answers. But let me share with you three New Testament writers, and what they connected this phrase with. In Mark chapter 10, we see him write these words, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? But to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. Makes sense, right? We've heard about that. We talk about service here a lot at First Baptist Church. We have the know, grow, serve, share. Yep, okay, we get that. That that works for us. There's a second one, though, that often is tied in with this Son of Man. It's out of Luke 19 where it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Yep, that works as well. We're, you know, evangelicals, Protestant, Baptists. We, we, we seek and save the lost. We want to do that. So we probably heard that. Even the no, grow, serve, share, that sharing Jesus with others. Okay, we got that part. But let me explain to you the third one that often gets overlooked. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Okay, what is up with that, right? I mean, was he a good Baptist or or what, you know? Join those potlucks. Um, What this is talking about, and and when we talk about drinking here, we're not talking about drinking alcohol to get drunk type of thing. That's not what the reference is to. But what Jesus did when he ate and he drank with the people is he connected with them. 
And it wasn't just with his friends or with the disciples. It was, it was with the spiritual seekers. It was with the underbelly even of society. It was with the quote-unquote sinners. In fact, in the passage we're looking at today, out of Luke chapter 5, verse 33, here's what it says. People were questioning Jesus about this, and they said, you know, the disciples of John fast often, and they offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, look at what he's accused of, yours eat and drink. What's up with that, Jesus? Really? And it goes so far to say that Jesus got accused of gluttony and being a drunkard. Look at what it says here out of Luke chapter 7. It says, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What's up with all these accusations about the eating? Let let me kind of summarize this. The mission of Jesus, one of his mission strategies, was often a long meal that stretched into the evening as he did evangelism and discipleship around a table. You see that all over Luke. And really the series is going to be walking through Luke and looking at the different meals that Luke talks about. But you see him doing this all throughout the book. In fact, Robert Karras, an author, says in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. That's how much Jesus is eating and drinking. And in fact, in this list I gave you here, I didn't even tell you about some of the stories that Jesus told that has eating in top of them, the most popular one probably being the prodigal son. Remember that story? When he comes home, the father says, kill the fattened calf, we're going to have a what? A feast, a great feast. Let's celebrate my son is home. So you can see that Jesus had a soft spot for eating. In fact, the ministry of Jesus, the, 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 in the ministry of Jesus, the meals were like enacted grace, community, and mission all rolled into one. I studied this this week, and all of a sudden a verse popped into my mind as well. You go to the end of the Bible. Revelation 3, 20. Remember what that says? It says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and what with him? Eat. There it is again. Is Jesus a foodie or what? (laughs) Right? I'm going to eat with him and you with me. No, when you eat, you, you, you recognize someone as a friend. When you eat, you come onto their same level with them. When you eat, you accept them, and Jesus knew that. And so you, you see all the things that he does and the people that he eats with, and you say, that's a key into the heart of Jesus. That's a key that we need to know about, not just to like see his stomach in the midst of this, but to see his heart and how he cared for people, how he ate with them, and how he spent time with them. So this series is about, come on, pull up a seat. We have an open chair. Let's eat with Jesus. And when we do, we're going to find nourishment not only for ourselves, but our souls and for other people as well. And so the first story that tells us about his eating habit with so many people is out of Luke chapter 5, verse 27. If you haven't found it, flip over to it, Luke 5, 27. And let me give you the first point on the outline as you're looking for that. That's this. Jesus values people others despise. 
What we can see from the other suppers is that Jesus values people that others in society despise. Let me jump in. Luke 5, 27. It says, after this, he, that is Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a booth. Now, the name Levi um, could also be called Matthew. That was his name. And so if I say Matthew or Levi, I'm referring to the same person here in this story. And it says, Jesus said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, Matthew rose and followed him. Now, let me kind of set the stage here because I shared this passage a couple of months ago and we looked at it as what happened after Matthew followed Jesus. We looked at it as Matthew invited all of his tax collector friends over and he introduced Jesus to them. It was a great way for Matthew to share what he came to know that Jesus is God's son. Uh, He had placed his faith in him. And so you see all this coming about uh, instead of inviting them to the local synagogue, which we'll talk about why they could not go there, he invited his friends over. What I did not tell you when I talked about that message was just how shady of characters these tax collectors were. I mean, I don't think any of us have ever had warm feelings by having our taxes collected, right? I mean, I just say the words IRS, and some of you break out in a little sweat up on your forehead. In fact, does anybody know what today is? What's today's date? April 15th tax day. Nice and hit on a Sunday. They gave us a couple extra days to pay our taxes. But, but that's about this time. And we all know that feeling. In fact, I have a friend who is working for the IRS and he always kind of says, don't talk about that with friends, okay? It doesn't look very good. I know that. However, kind of that, that way that we projected onto tax collectors today was no comparison with what took place in the first century. And let me set this up for you. Here's what was going on. In the country of Israel, Rome ruled the country. And the Romans got smart about this. They decided rather than come in and collect the taxes from the people, we will have it be done by some of the insiders. We'll have it be done by some of the leaders in the culture there in Israel. And so the Jewish people um, would step up, and some of them who wanted to do this occupation would pay a fee, or they would become the highest bidder, and the highest bidder got to have a tax franchise. Uh, of sorts, you know, like the local uh, McDonald's or Burger King or, or what's the one, the Christian chicken? I'm forgetting right now. What, 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 Chick-fil-A. I just ate there on Friday night. Yeah. Um, you know, step up and say, hey, let, let, let's do that. And, and the local franchise was then given out. And Rome would, would automatically get their share of what was collected. But then the tax collector got to decide what they wanted to collect. And there was no set fee. So they could collect basically whatever they wanted. And it didn't leave people in good, you know, relationships with them. Because they could stop anyone at any time to do any type of a tax inspection. Without a search warrant, just surprise tax inspection was done. Ha, what can I get you for taxes? And they could charge any amount on anything. Tax collection such as a poll tax, a letter tax, a produce tax, a market tax, an export tax, an import tax, a land tax, an income tax, a ground tax. If you grew something up out of your ground, they would say one-tenth of the grain that you grow needs to come to me. Or, or you know, you have to pay one-fifth of the fruit that you have on your trees or one-fifth of the wine that you produce from your um, uh, harvest will go to the government. 
And then when you left your house, there was a wheel tax and an axle tax and a road tax and a cart tax and a border tax and a bridge tax. I could go on and on and on and on. And if you wanted to try and get away from some of those taxes, you hide out in your home, they would come and they would knock on your door. And they would say, uh, we need to find something to tax you on. And they would. And they were good at it. And if you could not pay that tax, then they had kind of this loan system that they would loan you something. They'd be at 50% interest. And if you could not pay that off, then Guido would come by at some point in time. Maybe break your legs or something like that. I, I, I don't know how that worked. But, but they would put this upon the people. And they just weighed them down lower and lower and lower and lower. And so the people said, we don't like you. We don't want you in our synagogues. We don't want you in our temples. They could not go to the churches. And so what consequently happened is the tax collectors kind of found themselves in their own little substrata of the, of the environment and they would hang out with just people like them, other tax collectors, and even others who were marginalized by the society like prostitutes because they were kicked out of normal social interactions. And in the tax collector subculture, there was kind of a caste system of sorts. Let me explain it to you. I'll, I'll demonstrate it up on the screen. The first type of tax collectors were called gabbis. And the Gabbai's are, are these general kind of tax collectors who would collect land tax and income tax and some of the larger ones. Um, and they collected these bigger kind of taxes. Zacchaeus was one of these. He was a Gabbai. But then underneath the Gabbai, there were some smaller tax collectors who were called Mokus. And they would be the ones to collect the day-to-day -day taxes, such as the duties, the imports, the road tax, the axle tax, the pole tax, the bridge tax. That's why they began to be the rankest of the kinds of, of tax collectors. But even under the mokus, there were two other kind of mokus. There was the great mokus and there was the little mokus. The great mokus would employ other people. They had a franchise and they would hire other people to collect the, the taxes at that table. But the little mokus, they didn't want to share their profit. And so they would go at their table, at the tax booth, and they would be collecting their taxes because they didn't want to share that with anybody else. They wanted the cut all to themselves. As we walk into this story, that's who Levi is. He's a little mokus. Do you know why? One of the reasons we know he is is because in the NIV, it actually says he was at his tax booth. And these kind of tax collectors were actually a shade under the prostitutes in the social strata and environments. And it's in that setting that Jesus comes by, looks face to face with Levi, and says, you need to follow me. I got more for you. You got something else to do in this world than just collecting tax. Now, what's interesting about this is Levi doesn't sit down and try and calculate it out and figure out, well, should I go or should I not? And who is this guy? And I, he had heard about him, and Jesus offered the invitation, and G Levi stands up and goes, which tells me if you're here today and you're not a follower yet of Jesus, it's okay to begin to follow him with not having all your questions answered. 
You look around this room, there's hundreds of people. Last service, this service as well. Followers of Jesus because we know there's something different. And maybe we've had our questions answered a little bit farther than maybe someone coming here, here for the first time or the second time, or maybe you've just been coming to church for a little while. But it's okay to begin to follow him without having everything answered yet. And as you keep growing, as you keep exploring, you're going to find out that Jesus is absolutely who he says he is. And he says to all of us, come follow me. And what he does to Matthew here is kind of revolutionary. Because what was the main occupation of the other disciples who were with Jesus? Shout out. Most of them were fishermen. When they left their nets... Their nets were going to be there when they got done with following Jesus. Or if they ever felt like this Jesus person isn't the person to follow anymore. Those nets were still going to be there. They could jump back into the business. But for Matthew, a tax collector, (laughs) wasn't going to happen. Rome was going to fill that position with someone else. His little franchise was done when he got up and followed Jesus. But he saw that Jesus valued him as a real person. He saw Jesus didn't despise him as everyone else did. First thing, Jesus values people that others despise. Let me give you the second point on the outline. That's this. Jesus befriends people others ostracize. He befriends them. Look at what it says in verse 29. It says, and and Levi, or Matthew, made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and other, others reclining at table with them. All right, you can see some hints of how successful a tax collector Levi was, right? What does it say here? He had a great feast in whose house? His house. So he owned this house, and there was a small or medium company there. Oh, large. Lots of people. So Matthew had been doing this well. He knew the system. And he invited Jesus over with all these other tax collector friends to this party. And some people in this, um, uh, historians and theologians who look at this date and time, they say, well, you know what? Some of these parties could be kind of interesting. Let me give you a, for instance, of what this party could have been like. It could have lasted 10 hours Some of these parties start with a first course of hors d'oeuvres and things like that. And then they have an intermission of some entertainment or such for the dinner guests. And then there was a second course of soup and and, and appetizers. And then there was a main course of meat and other drink. That's just the dinner portion. Then there was a symposium of sort where you invited a guest speaker to come and to share, and you better be entertaining because eyelids could kind of get drowsy after all this good meal and the meat and the drink that they would have. But it was perfect for Jesus because Jesus often told stories. Jesus often told uh, parables. And Jesus would give life to a party just like this. And so we see the dinner party seems to be going well and then the fun police show up. Dun, dun, dun. Verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you guys eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What are you guys doing? This isn't how it's supposed to go. Have you ever thought, like, what is really their problem? 
right? What is up with them that they are so concerned about other people's fun and um, that other people like to kind of enjoy life and kind of have a party life of sorts? What, what, what's the problem? Let me tell you in one word. The word is contamination. Now, this wasn't bad food, food contamination that was going to sicken them. This was sin contamination. This was sin germs that they were fearful that they would catch. What do I mean by this? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, believed that the Messiah was not going to come back until Israel had its act together. Wasn't going to come back until everybody cleaned up their lives and they got it right. They started living rightly. Well, you know, that's a noble thing. However, what they did is they took the standard for being a leader in their religious system. They took the standard of being a temple religious leader and they put that purity system onto everybody. They cast it over to them and said, you've got to live this way in your homes, So even though the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament says these were the expectations for the the religious leaders in the synagogue or in the temple, it was never intended to be in everybody's home that they had to live up to this standard. And what the Pharisees had done is they had put these standards on top of the people and they were making them feel beaten down because they couldn't live up to them. That's what the Pharisees are doing here. And they're saying, wait, 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 you're going to get contaminated. You're going to be spiritually unclean. That's what Jesus is messing with here. Which, by the way, let me just give you a little aside. Let me see if you know the answer to this. What is the most germy surface in your homes? Does does anybody know this? The most germ-infected surface in your home? Go ahead, shout, shout out a couple answers to me. What do you think? The bathroom? No. Sink, no. No kitchen sink, no. The, the, the kitchen, it's something in the kitchen. Something in the kitchen. Se- a cell phone, no, no. Uh, uh, sponge, close, close, close. Let me tell you, the drain, no. Let me tell you what the most germ-infested part of your life when you go home is. The kitchen towel. Yeah, your kitchen towel has the most germs on it, which makes some of you crawl right now because you'd like to leave and go get it washed right now, right? Take care of that. And you will probably when you get home. Yeah, your kitchen towel is the most germ. That's what the Pharisees were feeling like here. They were like, whoa, Jesus, you're hanging out with the underbelly. You're hanging out with those people who have sin in their lives. You're hanging out with the dish towels. You shouldn't be doing that. Come on, Jesus. But look at the life of Jesus. Go back just a few verses in Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles open, it's still there. Luke chapter 5, look at verse 12 and 13. Look what Jesus does. It says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of, what's the word there? Leprosy. You know what lepers had to do as they walked through the cities? They had to yell, leper, leper, unclean, contaminated. Stay away. Don't touch. And when this man saw Jesus, it says he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me what? You can make me clean. Yeah, I know I'm sinful. 
Yeah, I know I'm dirty. Yeah, I know I'm contaminated. I know I got germs all over me. You, you, you can make me clean. Verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. First century, you did not touch a leper. Nobody touched lepers. If you wanted to touch a leper, that means you were going to get the disease as well. That's what they believed. Lepers were staying, supposed to stay in their own colonies. Lepers were supposed to clear the way to let people know, don't touch, don't come around. Nobody touches lepers. Jesus does. So Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. And he said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. You know what's messing with the Pharisees' system here? Is that they felt like if you touch people who were unclean, that you would become unclean yourself. But instead, when Jesus touches people, he doesn't become unclean. They become clean. They become righteous. They become holy like he is. And that is what we need. We need a touch from Jesus. And Jesus shows us with these meals and these suppers that he's having with others. That's what he wants to do. He wants to eat with anyone else. He wants to eat with the underbelly. He wants to eat with those who are loved and unlovable. He wants to eat with the clean and the unclean. He wants to eat with the righteous and the unrighteous. He wants everyone. And he'll befriend those people who others despise. He'll, he'll value and he'll befriend those who are ostracized by others. That's what's taking place here. And so in response, when Jesus is asked, why are you hanging out? Or the disciples are asked, why are you hanging out with these sinners and tax collectors? Look at what Jesus did. He hears this question and he interrupts. He says in verse 31 and 32, those who are well have no need of a doctor, a physician. But those who are sick are the ones that need it. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And his words probably pierced right through the souls of the Pharisees because they learned in that moment he was not just talking about the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the underbelly of the society. They were exposed as being spiritually sick. It's why here at First Baptist we have called ourselves a hospital for dozens of years. We're not a place that you come and you're all healed up, you got it all looking good and all together, and you come and, and you got to get your act right before you do come or you can't be sick when you come. Oh, no, no, no. What do you do when you go to a hospital? You check in because you got something wrong. You're sick. You've got some broken bones. You've got some things that aren't right. None of us have it right. None of us have it right. And so we're a hospital that we say, come as you are and let Jesus be the one to touch us. That's why we say often we're an imperfect people worshiping a perfect God. In fact, I heard a great logo motto of a church that said, everyone is welcome. Nobody is perfect. Anything is possible. That is so true. That's so true when we see Jesus and who he spends time with. And who he changes. Last part. Back page, the outline. Last point. Jesus frees people others judge. Jesus just frees them up. 
He frees them from having to go through this. In fact, the next part, this story kind of ends here in verse 33 and 34, carried out because it says the religious leaders said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, Jesus, yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? I mean, my goodness, if, if, if the wedding's happening, if the bridegroom's here, you're going to celebrate with him. In fact, NIV 2011 says, friends of the bridegroom, which if you're a guest of the bridegroom, you're a friend of the bridegroom. And isn't it good to know that that's how Jesus sees us? He says, come on. He doesn't see you as a sin project. I got to fix this little sin. He sees you as a friend. Come, come, come and enjoy me. Verse 35. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. In other words, Jesus was foretelling that he was going to die at some point in time, and then they will go to a fast. Then they'll mourn, but as long as I'm here with them, they can party it up with me. Let's enjoy. You know, First Baptist, I hope that that is your mindset as well. That we are a church that will welcome anyone and everyone. We are a church that will value the despised. We will befriend the ostracized. We'll free up other people who are judged. And I pray that that word gets out to the city, to the city and to the streets of Stockton. That this is a not a place for judgment. This is a place where dry bones become alive. This is a place where God's grace is given. And we're breathing in God's grace. We breathe out his praise. Right? You sang those words. Did you mean those words? We see it illustrated. That's why we do what we do around here. In fact, this last Thursday night, I had the privilege to go to and do the opening prayer at the um, uh, Gospel Center Rescue Mission Gala that was down at the country club. And we gathered there, and it was a great time. And, and uh, Wayne Richardson's the CEO. He and his wife attend here at First Baptist Church. And uh, we heard a great speaker who shared about her life, about how Jesus changed her life. She was a gal who was on the streets of drugs, homeless for a while, to raise money for her child. She prostituted her body. Jesus, Je- Jesus changed her. She shared about how that process come about. Jesus changes those who are craving alcohol and drugs, those who need to prostitute themselves to sell themselves for finances and think that they're dependent upon that. Jesus changes people who are tax collectors. And I'm looking at a bunch. When I look in the mirror, too, I see a tax collector because how many of us don't try and bring in more money than we think we actually need? How many of us have not been generous with our money, but we've kept it to ourselves? How many of us have not given 10% to God, but we've kept it to ourselves, right? But I like to collect it for myself. Yeah, we're all there, okay? Jesus changes all those kind of people, all of us. And then the guest speaker was uh, Tori Verber-Salazar, who's a San Joaquin County district attorney. Wonderful Christian gal. She's actually going to speak. If you're one of our seniors, come on uh, Tuesday. She's going to speak and share with Suzanne Schultz about the fraud. Um, she'll be here with lunch with us. I want, you to inter- I want you to meet her. So if you have not signed up for that, please do, seniors, be here on Tuesday for lunch. But she shared about how she was driving through the streets in South Stockton. 
And it was late at night. She didn't share how she got down there, but she came upon a woman who had stumbled out of a home and was looking just as ragtag as could be. In fact, she was very destitute as she was kind of stumbling through the streets. And Tori was in her government car and so decided to pull up alongside her and see if she could give some help to the gal. The gal could hardly communicate as she stumbled to where she thought she was going to go. And so Tori, Tori just followed her about one mile per hour, following her to through the streets of South Stockton a couple of blocks until she found and saw a man walk out of a building towards the gal. And the man was wearing a top hat and a trench coat. And Tori immediately knew this was a pimp who was selling this woman on the streets of Stockton. Human trafficking going on. And you know, if you have been given it all to the 2020 vision that we have here at First Baptist, you are a part of trying to solve that in San Joaquin County. That was one of the four goals that we wanted to do as we gave to the 2020 campaign to cancel the debt, but then also for the Imagine projects that would help. That's one of the things that you're giving to to make a difference in that. And Tori saw this taking place. And so she said she took her car, and the car kind of drove itself right in between the man and the woman. And she said, if I hit him, I hit him, because then what am I going to do, prosecute myself? I mean, she was like, if it happens, it happens. She drove right in between him, and the man got scared off and ran. And she began to minister to the woman. She and a friend took her to McDonald's, began to talk to her about her life, began to say, how can we help you? They found her a hotel room. And talk to her about where are you going? What, what's going to happen? What's going to change to make a difference? And Tori immediately thought of the only thing that will change her would be Jesus. And she got her into the Gospel Center Rescue Mission because they help with that. And the woman's life was, was changed because now she began to see people and she began to see value in her life and she began to see herself as God saw her. I got thinking about that story as Tori shared that, and I thought, First Baptist, are we that same kind of mission? Are we that same type of place where anyone from any walk of life can walk into this place? doesn't matter what you're wearing. doesn't matter if you got a hat on. doesn't matter what kind of tattoos you got on your body. It doesn't matter if you're looking good in a suit and a tie and a coat or whether you're just coming in in your flip-flops and your, and your, and your thongs. And Yeah, those are flip-flops, not the other thing, all right? We'll just leave it at that. You know what I mean, all right? You got it. You know what I mean? Anybody, anybody able to come in. And I would hope for some of us who have been here for years and years and years that we would scoot on aside no matter what that person looked like, sounded like, can't sing, can sing, can smells, smells good, smells, whatever it is that we would say, yes, there's an open seat here. This meal, this supper is for anyone and everyone. Because that's what Jesus demonstrated. The other suppers. Ooh, we know the religious one. We know the Lord's Supper. We share those elements together. But how about the other suppers that Jesus showed us? How he loved and cared for people that were often ostracized and kicked out of society. They were for them. And First Baptist, I hope that it's not just even here at this church that you have that kind of a mindset, but it's in your homes that you have that kind of a mindset, that it's in your schools that you have that kind of mindset, that it's in your places of business or in recreation that you have that kind of mindset, that this feast 
that Jesus gives to us is for everyone. Amen? Amen. Amen. chair. Enjoy this series, but remember, that chair is not just for you. There's others who are invited to that table as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder that you give to us, that you came for everyone. Those who look good, smell good, by the world standards, and those who don't. Because, God, I know, I know that oftentimes you see us not as the world sees us, but, Lord, you see us in our spiritual state. And so, folks, maybe you're here today and you feel like, I, I, I don't look real good to God. I don't smell real good. That's all right. You've come to the hospital. You've come to a place to get healed up. You've come to a place to get cleaned up. And, folks, let me take it to the other end. Some of you are looking good, smelling good, but God sees through it. If you have a kind of a pharisaical type of a heart, he's coming for you as well. He's coming to bring us to a place of saying, will we love like Jesus loves? Will we value? Will we befriend? Will we free others up to not be judged? God, I pray that First Baptist Church is a place for anyone and for everyone. I pray that First Baptist Church is a place that reflects your love. I pray that First Baptist is a church that reflects Jesus in this community. So folks, whatever step you need to take today, whatever repentance you need to give to God, whatever steps you need to take, I pray the Lord will speak to you. And then, and then, enjoy the party, enjoy the meal. That's why Jesus came. The bridegroom is here. Enjoy the time together. Celebrate with his presence. God, may we be people who love. May we be people who value what you value. For it's in the name of Jesus. And even now as we worship and as we go, we pray that we walk like you. In your name I pray. Amen.